the, uh, the last time we got together, we began to examine what at one time, and uh, not too long ago actually, at one time was considered to be a truth that was self-evident. And that is that all men are created equal, and that we are endowed by our Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And we started to look at the right, of, right to life. And what makes this statement, which is found in our Declaration of Independence, so powerful is that it is founded upon the authority of the Bible. This is God's point of view. It wasn't some men that got together in a room and thought, well, gee whiz, you know what, what can we say that would make us more special or for some reason give us some worth? This was founded upon the authority of the Bible. The Word of God, Scripture tells us that according to the Bible, every person has a God-given right to live their life free from the threat of harm which may come to them at the hands of another person. And because of that, Governments are instituted among men for the purpose of protecting our fundamental right to life. And I like that. Yet on the other hand, being a realist, all you have to do is look around us and uh, begin to recognize that something has drastically gone wrong with our fundamental right to life. We're constantly bombarded daily with news of murders, rape, Kidnapping, assaults, abuse, drive-by shootings, carjackings. And when you mix in euthanasia and abortion, you have a direct assault on this fundamental right to life. And so what we're going to look at and we need to try to figure out is what's the answer to the problem. Because realistically, we've all become prisoners, even though supposedly we have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Somewhere along the line, we've become prisoners to the ever-increasing violence that we see in our culture. And so we need to try to figure out what the answer is. And, of course, typically in our society, what we do is we deal with the symptoms and we don't deal with the root problems. And, uh, in fact, Gary Bauer, this past week on August 10th, came up with this statement. He said, you have probably seen the news stories on the crime bill. He said, it's a typical Washington creature that is filled with pork that will do little, if anything, to impact crime. This is how Washington reacts to a public consensus that we need to get tough on criminals. Their answer always is that we just throw money at it. It's, he says, uh, this morning it was discovered that the powerful committee chairman, Jack Brooks, took the bill and on his own added a $10,000 grant for a university in his district to, quote, study crime. He says, now I know this will be of great comfort the next time a loved one is robbed, assaulted, or raped that Washington has authorized another study to be conducted. You know, and you see, stop and think about it. It really is our answer to everything. If there's a problem, it must take money to fix it. And, uh, you know, what's interesting is the Bible tells us a lot about the solutions and also the root causes of the problems. And that's what we're going to take a look at. So my suggestion is rather than spend more money on more studies, that we just take time to study what's already been given to us by God who has created us in order that we better understand who we are and what our problem is with one another. And so that's what we're going to take a look as we go through it. And to address the, the moral issues of our day, we begin to take a look at some of the biblical issues that we have to understand. We've got to understand these three issues in order to deal with what we're going to discuss as we, as we continue on in our study this morning. The first one is that God created human life. We went into great detail last time about this, but just as a reminder, the Bible tells us continually, Genesis 2-7 as an example, that the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. 
The Bible teaches over and over and over again that God is real, that he did create us, and that, some, and that we just didn't happen or evolve, but we are created in the image and likeness of God. And because of that, people have a sense of value that nothing else in God's creation has. And so we need to recognize that. Along with the fact that God is our creator, we saw that God also controls every event of human, of human history. That God is in control of everything that happens in your life and my life. That's critical to understand it, and you'll see why in a minute as we deal with some of the moral issues of our day. But in Job 34, 14 through 15, Job said, You know what? If it were God's intention, and he withdrew his spirit and breath, all mankind would perish together, and man would return to the dust. That God is in control. That he is the one that, that orchestrates all the events of human history. Now, the reality is sometimes we don't like what he does, but it doesn't negate the fact that he's in control. And so we need to recognize that God is in control, and it's going to be important, as we see in a minute. He's in authority. He's in control. He's the one that calls the shots. He is God. And he said, when, when Moses said, hey, uh, who should I say sent me when he was going to Pharaoh, God said, just tell him, I am. And I like that, because he is. And he's all-powerful, and he is in control. Number three is that God is concerned for human life. God cares about you. God cares about me. He cares about every one of us that he's concerned for every event that takes place in your life and in my life. And that's important to realize, as we'll see in a minute, because God's concern, as it says here in Matthew 6, he says, look around, man. God's concerned about everything in his creation. But he's saying, as much as he's concerned about birds and the flowers and trees and everything else that he's made, he's much more concerned about people. That people are far more valuable than any other thing that God has made. And you'll see why in a minute that this is so critical in understanding. The Bible is filled with passages that tell us that God has a plan for man, that God loves man, that God is concerned for man. And so now we're ready to handle what's, what we would call the tough moral issues of our day. And there's going to be six of them. But in order to understand these and to give an answer. You, you see, one of the things we've got to be careful with is that we reflect to the culture that we live in what God says in these particular subjects. That our decisions that we make and our opinions that we express are a reflection of what God's point of view is in all these areas. So in order to better understand it, we lay the foundation, we understand that God's a creator, we understand that God's in control, we understand that God does care, but now we're going to deal with some things that are very relevant to everything that's going on in our culture because there's six moral issues that we're going to talk about. First, we'll talk about murder. And every decision, every opinion that we have is going to be reflected through what the Bible teaches. What do you believe about murder? What do you believe, secondly, about abortion? What do we believe about euthanasia? What do we believe about abuse? What do we believe about rape? What do we believe about kidnapping? Those six moral issues are obviously highly relevant and are something that we need to have a better handle on as far as what the Bible teaches in every one of these areas. Because if you think about it, these six areas reflect some of the most out-of-control situations that are occurring in our culture, our society today. Every one of those things, and we'll see in a minute as we, as we look at these things, what God has to say. If you've got your Bibles, uh, turn with me to Genesis chapter 4. You know... One of the problems, particularly in the Los Angeles area, we have certainly been made aware of the moral issue of murder. Regretfully, some of the most celebrated criminal cases in history were right in our backyard. 
If you think about Charles Manson and the Hillside Strangler and the Night Stalker and, you know, more recently the newspapers were inundated with stories of the gal from Costa Mesa who was abducted alongside the uh, Costa Mesa freeway, Denise Huber. We hear stories all the time of brutal murders and uh, we begin to understand. We, we saw the, the young man in Orange Park, that um, Stuart Tay, who was killed by classmates. And uh, obviously, uh, most recently, you know, the Menendez massacre and the uh, O.J. Simpson uh, case. And it becomes pretty apparent that there's something wrong in our culture, that there's something wrong as far as the value of human life is concerned. And uh, God has a lot to say about the problem of murder. In fact, one of the first recorded, well, actually the, the second recorded sin, the first recorded murder in the history of the world, is recorded in Genesis chapter 4. And there's some insights that we can gain from this particular account. But in Genesis 4, starting with verse 3, we read, So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. And Abel on his part also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering. But for Cain and for his offering he had no regard. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry and why is your countenance, countenance fallen? If you do well, will, your, will not your countenance be lifted up? He says, And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and it is desire is for you, but you must learn to master it. The situation is that Cain brings his offering to God and doesn't do it the way God had instructed him to be done because God required blood to be shed and, they, and uh, his brother did exactly what God required of him. Cain comes to him and says, here's my offering. God says, wait a minute, that's, that's not acceptable. That's not what I told you to do. And so Cain became angry at God because obviously it was God's fault because Cain had a better way of doing things and that's how man is. We always have a better way. We think we know better than God. When God tells us something, we got a different, more improved, better way to do it. And uh, God wasn't buying it. And so God, God said, well, you know, I, I don't buy it. And so Cain became upset because what he did wasn't acceptable to God. And he became very angry to the point where his whole demeanor changed. And what God said to him was, listen, if you do the right thing, it'll go well with you. And the same is true of us. People, if we do what's right before God, it'll go well with us. But if we do not do according to what God says is right, it will not go well with us. And we'll have a problem. And he said to Cain, you know what? Sin is crouching at your door. You're very angry and I know your heart and I know what you're thinking and I know what you're capable of doing. And if you do not master it, there's going to be problems in your life. God in his graciousness warned him of the, of the problem of sin nature that we are capable of doing the most heinous things imaginable. You and I sit sometimes and think, how could someone kill someone? The Bible clearly teaches within the heart of every man is a sinful nature that's capable of murder and everything else that you can think of that's heinous before God and before society. How could a man kill someone? Simple. If we do not learn to control those evil desires that we have as far as sin nature is concerned, we are capable of doing anything. God warns him and says, you better get your act together. You better learn to control it. You better control your anger. Because if you do not, there's going to be a problem. Cain told Abel, his brother, and it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and he killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. 
You are responsible for what you did. You are accountable for your actions. You did what I told you not to do. I warned you that it would happen, and it happened, and now you are held responsible for your actions. That's God's viewpoint of murder. You are responsible. Now turn to Genesis chapter 9, and he tells us why we're responsible. When a person commits the act of murder, God holds him responsible. Genesis 9, verses 5 and 6, we read this. And surely I will require your lifeblood. From every beast I will require it. And from every man, from every man's brother, I will require the life of man. He says this, For whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. We see the sanctity of human life to the point where God says, Look, if you kill someone, your blood will be required of you. The only way that we can stop this type of nonsense from, from occurring in society is that we need to hold the person accountable who commits the act. Because those around will then recognize the value of human life. But when we live in a culture that does not think human life is valuable, forgets that we're created in the image of God and that God is in control, then what happens is we begin to justify and rationalize every human behavior and give a good reason why we do what we do. And then when anarchy and crime is rampant and when murder and assault and abuse and all the other things that we're going to discuss are out of control, then we scratch our heads, we send more money in to do another study to find out what the problem is. And the problem is very simple. We do not value human life because we do not hold accountable those who take it. That's as simple as it gets. Exodus 20.13, the Bible says, Thou shalt not murder. Now, what part of that don't you understand? You follow how simple this is? Thou shalt not murder. Why? Because God created human life in His image and after His likeness, because God is in control of human destiny, and because God cares for people. And he says, and as a result, I don't want you killing each other. Because if I left it up to you, you probably would. Jesus took it a step further when he said, you know what? I know you've heard it said you shouldn't kill each other, but I'm going to take it a step further and say, you know what else? I'm going to tell you you need to deal with the sin of anger in your heart beforehand because that's what leads to the, the sin of murder anyway. Ephesians 4, 26, 27 says, you can be angry, but you better just not sin. You can get angry about things. Be angry about some things. Yet, do not sin. Learn to control it, for sin is crouching at your door, and you have to learn to master it. You have to learn to control those desires that are going to harm other people. You are responsible and accountable before God and before man, before society. Governments are instituted among men for the purpose of protecting our right to life. It is the responsibility of government, according to Romans 13, according to this passage here in Genesis 9, for if man takes man's blood, then by man's hands shall man's blood be taken. That there's due process of law, but we're to hold people accountable for their actions. The rampant rise in murder and general disregard of human life, you know, if you think about what's going on in our society, you know, and the abandonment of the idea of sanctity of life should give us enough reason to understand that, you know what, this is coming full circle. We're just, we're just reaping what we're sowing. And that's what we need to understand. What are the answers? The answers are we have to go back to what God says about human life and worth and value. That God is accountable before, you know, that God is responsible, that we are accountable for our actions. And there's nothing you can do to get away from it. That murder is wrong. Now listen to how this applies in, in simple, simple terms. Murder is wrong 
regardless of whether the person you're murdering you think deserves it. You follow this? Don't lose sight of this. Murdering a doctor who commits abortion is just as wrong as abortion, and we'll talk about that in a second. Do you understand that? Murdering another person, though we think they deserve it, is still being guilty of the same thing that we're accusing them of being guilty of. It is contradictory with a pro-life position. You can't say we value human life except for yours, you scumbag. You can't do that. It doesn't make any sense. It's contradictory. The Word of God isn't contradictory. God holds all human life in high esteem. And we need to understand that. You can't say, well, you know what? You abused me, so I killed you. Therefore, I'm not accountable or responsible. Think about what's going on in our culture today. Think about the Menendez mess. What is, what is their defense? We were abused, so we had the right to kill them. We could go out and buy again. We can plan the whole thing. We can walk in someone's house and we can blow them away because for years we were abused. So they deserve to die. And if I can get you to buy that because you've had a tough life too, then we're off the hook. And you know what happens? Every person in society then begins to think, I can get away with this if I can come up with a good enough reason that someone will buy and support. Every one of us will become victims to that mentality if human life is not held in high regard. This is scary stuff. It's frightening to me to think what a jury would let somebody do. Because it plants a thought in society, I can get away with this. I can shoot my husband. I can burn him in his bed because he's abused me. I can do this to my parents. I can do this to my neighbor. I can do this to my boss because he abused me. Two wrongs don't ever make a right. Never in God's jurisdiction. Never. If you're abused, then we need to do something about that and we'll discuss it. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. It is not right to be abused. It's not right to abuse somebody. But on the other hand, it is not right to take matters into your own hand where then you become as guilty as they are of what they're doing to you. You do the same thing and justify it. There are ways to deal with situations that are unjust situations in the world and still be pleasing to God. Why is it wrong? Because God says it's wrong. Why is it wrong? Because God created man. God created human life. Why is it wrong? Because God controls human destiny and not man. And it violates God's authority that we would take that authority into our own hands. And you know why else God is against murder? Because he cares about people probably one of the most devastating things that can occur directly and indirectly in the life of a person is to have to deal with the murder of someone that you love. There was a letter in the paper the other day speaking of the Stuart Tay situation. For those of you who don't know who he is, he was a high school kid in the Orange, Orange Park area who was uh, basically uh, grabbed by some friends, schoolmates. He was uh, taken to a house. He was beaten. They had rubbing alcohol, they poured down his throat, they put duct tape over his mouth, and then they beat him to death with a baseball bat, and he ended up suffocating on his own vomit, and they buried him out in the backyard of the house. The person who was responsible for it wrote, wrote this letter to the parents of Stuart Tay. It says, before his sentencing, Monday, Robert Chan wrote an undated four-page handwritten letter to the Tay family apologizing for the killing of their son, Stuart Tay. In this meticulously penciled letter, Chan says he only now realizes the devastation that he has caused. 
Here are a few excerpts. He writes, Dear Tay family, perhaps you did not expect to receive this letter, and most likely you will not react positively to hearing from someone who is responsible for your son's death. I know that nothing I say or do is going to bring back your son, Stuart, yet after struggling with my conscience and trying to sort through a broad spectrum of emotions, I decided to write this letter to you. Before all this happened, I never considered that the damage, I never considered the damage caused by my actions would extend far beyond the principles involved. In my stupidity and selfishness, I did not think about how this would affect you, the Tay family, nor did I think about anyone else. As I talked to my family, I felt their incredible grief and sorrow overwhelming me in waves and pressing down upon my conscience with an unbearable weight. I shudder when I try to imagine how you must feel, and after witnessing the pain of my family, I know that your pain is infinitely worse. This realization makes my guilt grow even, even heavier. For you see, I know now, all too late, that not only have I destroyed one life, but I have certainly destroyed many. Sometimes late at night, when my cellmates are sleeping, I cry. The feeling I experience is one of total shock and disgust, my mind being pierced by the thought, Oh my God, I killed somebody. I took another human being's life. I think, no, no, but that's when the sense of finality sinks in. I must face the fact that I have committed a vile crime, a horrible event that cannot be erased, a gross error that cannot be corrected like a simple classroom mistake. In the past, I have made mistakes and atoned for them, but this I don't know how to make amends for. I don't even know if it's possible. For myself, I see no peace of conscience in the future. I only hope that one day you'll find the peace that you need. What more needs to be said? For a loving God who is concerned for his people knows how devastating and how brutal the act of murder is on another human being. The second thing that we need to deal with is the moral issue of abortion. The abortion issue is not simply, you know, the issue of killing babies in the womb as horrible and detestable as that is. The issue does not stop there. The medical atrocities of Nazi Germany only a generation ago began with the same self-justification and rationalization, even the same terminology if you think about it. It's the same terminology that we're hearing today to justify the issues of abortion and euthanasia. What What does the Bible say concerning the moral issue? We have to remember to funnel everything that we've learned, to funnel our answer for this through everything that we've learned. One is that God creates human life. Two is that God is controlling human events. And three is that God cares about people. When you stop and think about it, we need to realize that, you know what? Psalm 139, listen to what the psalmist writes. God, you have formed me in my, in my inward parts. You have covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. You, your eyes have seen my substance being yet unformed, unformed. And in your book they were written the days fashioned for me when as yet there was not one of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them all. If I should count them, they would be more than the numbers in the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Deuteronomy 32.6 asks this question. Has not God made you and has he not established you? The Bible clearly teaches that a baby in the womb of the mother is a living, viable human being created in the image and the likeness of God. There is no way that you can get around that and any person that reads the Bible and is informed on the subject realizes exactly that that is what the Bible teaches. 
Genesis 16, 11, we read, You are with child, and you shall bear a son. Matthew 1, 18, she was found with child by the Holy Spirit. Luke 1, 41 and 44 says, The baby leaped in her womb for joy. Luke 1, 36, she conceived a son and would give birth. In Exodus 21, 22 and 23, it's probably the most vividly clear passage on the issue of whether a child in the womb is truly a child of God. We read this, If men fight and hurt a woman with child so that she gives birth prematurely, yet no lasting harm follows, he shall surely be punished accordingly as the woman's husband imposes on him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. But if any lasting harm follows, then you shall give life for life. Do you follow that? There's a fight between two guys. A woman who's pregnant gets in the way. Somehow she gets in the middle of it. She is harmed in some way, knocked down. And God says, okay, look, here's the way it works. If she gives birth prematurely and she's okay and the baby's okay, then he will just pay a restitution, whatever the judges determine that value is going to be worth. But if that child dies or that woman dies or either or both, then you shall hold the person accountable life for life. Now, isn't that ironic that God would say that a child in the womb of a mother is a living, viable human being, and yet we still have those same laws on our books today? If you harm a woman who is pregnant, causing the death of her child in her womb, you could be charged with manslaughter. That is still a viable law in our books today. And this is the same culture that out of the other side of our mouth, we say, you know what, though? But it isn't really a child, it's tissue. Now, duh, ah, uh, ah. Uh. What is the problem there? I mean, think this through, people. I mean, that doesn't make any sense. So, unless it's the mother choosing to kill her own child. You follow that? You can't do it. I can't do it. But the mother now has the freedom to kill her own child. That's ludicrous. That's crazy. And where does that stop? You're having a bad day, Mom. The kids are crayon on the wall. And I don't mean to make fun of it, but just think about it. You've all been in that position before. Like, man, I think I'd like to kill him. <laughs> and just think, a couple years earlier, while they were in the womb, I could have got away with murder. And no one would have said anything because they would have given me that choice. That is so stupid. That is so dumb. I mean, I can't even believe how dumb that is. And yet, people go around trying to rationalize and explain it away as being intelligent. That's dumb. And let me tell you something. You know what else is dumb? When we get to the point where we determine whether somebody is valuable or not based on usefulness, then that's really scary, too. I love this editorial that I had read at one point, and I want to share this with you because it sums up this whole freedom of choice argument quite well. It says, The woman's body is her own. It's a gift of God. It's her own until she engages in activity that invites a guest to share it with her for a period of time, roughly nine months. Having entered into that solemn obligation, she is bound by the laws of God and nature not to disturb the tenant. She had a property right in her body, and she, for a consideration, voluntarily relinquished a part of that right to another. Her body no longer is completely her own. That is what pregnancy means. Prior to a pregnancy, a woman does have rights, including the right to prevent pregnancy by any means acceptable to her conscience. 
hey, I'm all for freedom of choice. But it all takes place way before you conceive a child. Freedom of choice is whether you're going to enter into a sexual relationship with another human being. The freedom to choose is whether or not you'll do anything contraceptively according to your conscience to control that. Freedom of choice stops the moment that a child is conceived. Because now God's brought into the picture, even though he's brought into the picture as far as our sexual relationships, now he's entered the scene because he's created life within that woman's womb. And now we've got a whole new problem to deal with. Because now we're accountable before God. See, why does God hate abortion? Because abortion is the premeditated murder of an unborn child. And there's no way you can get around that. And God understands the devastation that it causes. Not just to the people that are involved directly, not just to that child who is murdered, not just to the mother who becomes a murderer, not just to the husband or, or the father or the parents or the family or society that loses another human being that is potentially productive to society. Everybody suffers when someone's murdered. Whether it was someone that you knew for 20 years that is, that is slaughtered at an ATM machine, or whether it's a baby within the womb of a woman that we've never got to meet, talk to, touch, play with, change a diaper, or ever get to know, we are all losers when someone is murdered. Frank Peretti, my wife, just finished reading an excellent short story, fictional work by Frank Peretti. It's called Tilly. Read it. Recommend it to someone. Because it talks about the emotional devastation that's involved in abortion. Folks, let me tell you something. You cannot get away with murder before God. Cain did not get away with it. God saw what he did to his brother. And he said, you know what? You cannot get away with murder. Now, we may be able to get away with murder in a culture that doesn't value human life. We may walk away from a jury and say, thank you very much. I'm glad you saw that I deserve to kill my parents. But you know what, though? God's not mocked by that. They're still accountable before God no matter what man does to try to ease their guilt, their conscience, or anything else. Whether they spend a day in jail, whether they go to the electric chair, it doesn't make any difference because payday one day, God is not mocked by our foolishness. Number three is the moral issue of euthanasia. Euthanasia, or as it's oftentimes called wrongly so and foolishly so, mercy killing. According to the Bible, physical suffering or handicap is never an acceptable reason for taking a person's life. Probably the greatest illustration of this truth in the Bible is filled with examples, but let me share this one with you. This is incredible. Moses is talking to God. God is sending him to talk to Pharaoh. Moses is coming up with all kinds of excuses why this just isn't going to work out. In Exodus chapter 4, Moses comes up with this lame idea. Hey, you know what? I, I can't even speak real well. I get this problem. I don't like public speaking. And I, this isn't going to work for me. And God looked at him and said, hey, you know what? Exodus 4.11, he says, hey, you know what? Moses, let me ask you something. Who made man's mouth? Or who makes him dumb or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Man, what a rebuke. You know, and you have to be wondering what God's thinking. See, there's funny stuff in the Bible. Sometimes we miss it. But stop and think about it. Moses is giving this dumb answer about why he can't go speak to Pharaoh, talking to the one who made him the way that he is. See anything funny with that? 
I do. He's like, and so God gives him the answer that obviously was the appropriate one, thinking about, you know what, sometimes Moses, you're really dumb, but I already know that because I made you, so I know what all your limitations are, but let me just remind you and everybody else from now on in the future of the world that, you know what, I'm the one that makes people the way they are. So if you're born blind, John 9, hey, there's a reason for it. If you're mentally impaired in some way, if you're physically handicapped in some way, if there's something, quote, wrong with you by society's standards, you know what, though? Don't worry about it because God made you that way. You see? And what the point of all that is very simple. Suffering is part of God's plan. I don't like that, and I'm sure you don't like that. But you know what i got to remember? God cares about people. It all goes back to that fundamental understanding that God is concerned about people. God cares about people. And even though it doesn't make any sense to us, and I'll be the first one to tell you, I don't understand suffering. I don't know why God does what he does. And I don't understand any reason why it would be important that we would suffer other than the fact that God says it's part of his plan, he's in control, it's part of his program, and that you just need to learn to trust him through the midst of all of it. I understand that, but I'll tell you this, the Bible clearly teaches it, that it's God is in control. If you are suffering... Know this, that you are suffering at the hands of God. Whether it's discipline for your actions, or whether it's out of some love on the part of God to get you to grow in your faith, to get you to trust Him. What are some of the good things that come out of suffering? You know what? In my short lifetime, I've seen some. Somehow or another, God is glorified through suffering. I've seen people that suffer that gain an eternal perspective that they didn't have otherwise. I've seen people who live with a mentally handicapped uh, sibling that somehow or another learns and, and understands a compassion toward human beings that they never would have had if they hadn't been in that situation. I see people that end up coming to Christ because they've suffered. Perfect illustration. A couple of months ago, we had a friend whose dad went into the hospital for a checkup and had been having some pains and some problems. And this was about in March. Went in, they said, hey, there's not a thing we can do for you. you got terminal cancer. There's nothing we can do. So they prepared for the next few months to get everything in order. Got the hospital bed, put it on the first floor of the house that they were living in. And for the next couple of months, the family got to spend time with them. Next few months, they got to, to pray with them, to, to be there, to share with them, to comfort them, whatever. And about two weeks before he died, they had a friend that shared the gospel with them. That, you know what? God loves you. And I know it's hard to understand when you're going through all this suffering, but God loves you that he sent Christ to die for you, and that if you would believe that and trust that, the moment that you die, you'll be in his presence for all of eternity, if you just believe that. And that night, he prayed to receive Christ as his Lord and Savior. The next day, they were at dinner together, and he was laying in his bed, and he said, can I come over, because I want to sit at the table, and I want to pray with my family. The first time this man ever prayed with his family as a member, not of their family, but as a member of the family of God. He died. He's with the Lord because that's what the Bible promises. Now, let me ask you a question. Does God love people? Absolutely. Do we understand this stuff? I don't. I'll tell you right now, I don't understand it, but I know what the Bible teaches. Now, does every ending end up happily ever after? Absolutely not. There have been people throughout the history of the world that suffered cruel, cruel fate, so-called so fate, and that they died never bending a knee to the God who created them. There's a man on the cross, if you remember, 
who was cursing God as he was dying. And the other thief said, man, don't you even, aren't you even afraid of God? Aren't you even afraid of God? In your hour of suffering and need, aren't you even aware that you are terminal, that it's fatal, and that you are going to die? Did he, did he, did he ever accept Christ as his Lord? No. Is he in hell forever after? Yes, according to the authority of the Word of God. Is it God's fault? No. Does God love people? Yes. See, we've got to be very careful that we need to make sure we understand that things like euthanasia are wrong because God is the one who controls human destiny. It is not our position to play God to take someone so-called out of their misery. Think about this, how nonsensical this is and what a deception that it is. Take a person who's suffering with whatever they're suffering, but they've never come to know Christ as their Savior. And I hear foolish people all the time say, you know what, it would be better if they were dead. And you just want to shout out, no. No, it's not better if they're dead because it's appointed for man to die once and then comes judgment. It would be better if they come to know Christ. It would be better if they confess their sins before God and believe in Christ and believe on His name. It would be better for them, yes, if they know Christ. But if they do not know Christ and they die, it is not better for them because now they will suffer for eternity. Man, folks, do you understand how deceptive things like euthanasia are? It's better if they don't suffer anymore. That's assuming that they know the Lord. Yeah, it would be better, but God is faithful in the midst. And you know what I find? The majority of times, it's not God's people who want to end their lives because they know God's in control. It's people that don't know the Lord who say, it's better that we end our life. It's better that we end your life. They don't know. They don't understand. And that's why God's people need to be very clear on this issue. It is not better for you to die if you do not know the Lord than it is for you to live for another 10 years and suffer miserably every day if it means you have a chance to confess before God your sin and to accept Him as your Lord and Savior. Do you understand this? Man, this is critical. We need to recognize this. This is dangerous stuff. And God help us to realize that, you know what? I don't want somebody else determining for me what the quality of my life is. You know, in Holland, for example, they, they have not, not officially endorsed it, but have accepted euthanasia for years. The, the, the Dutch government in 1991 did a study and found, listen to this, they found that over 50% of cases of euthanasia involve a unilateral decision on the part of a physician without ever consulting with a patient or a family. You look like you're having a tough day. I think I'll take care of that. And am I not merciful? Whoa. Man, you know what? I don't want someone making that decision for me. You want someone making that decision for you? You want someone making that decision for someone that you love that's in the hospital? You want somebody walking in and saying, oh man, you know what, you broke your neck surfing, you're paralyzed, you, you, your, your, your life has no quality anymore, so why don't we just end it for you? Man, Johnny Erickson Tata wouldn't want somebody doing that for her, because through that whole process she's come to know the Lord, and she's been a tremendous ministry and a blessing to people throughout the world. See, you, you and I can't determine these things, folks, because we don't create life. We don't control life. And you know what, we don't have a clue how much God is concerned about life more than we will ever understand. You know, don't let, it, don't let yourself believe that you care about people more than God does. And you know what? Let, you know, let me do this. 
Let me take the, the last three, go into it next week, and deal with this issue. How can you be pro-life and still support the death penalty? Does that make any sense? Well, we'll see next week. Let's pray. Father, thanks for this time to be together. We thank you for the kids and the choir. And just, God, we just thank you that, um, that you've created life. God, we thank you for life. I thank you for mine. I thank you for the fact that you control my destiny, that you've got my life in your hands, that you've appointed everything that will ever happen to me. God, I just am so grateful for that because I know I'd mess it up. God, thank you for that. Thank you that you're concerned for each one of us, that you have a purpose, that you have a plan. And as hard as it is to understand, God, may we continue to do not what seems right that always ends in destruction, but that we would do right, that we would believe you, that we would trust you in these areas. God, help us to somehow or another regain a society that considers human life valuable, that we deal with those who take life as you intended, and that is a life for a life. God, that you would help us to understand how, how devastating abortion is and that it's nothing more than window dressing for murder. God, may we understand that. God, help us to realize that euthanasia is wrong before you also because suffering is a part of your plan. You have a purpose and a plan behind it. And though we don't understand it, we know that we're in your hands and we can trust you because you know what's best for all of us. And we just thank you for this time that we can look at your word, which clearly defines issues that our society calls troubling or controversial. And the only reason that's true is because we've gotten far away from what you say is right. God, we just thank you for that, and we just praise you in Christ's name. Amen.